welcome to the Vital Health Podcast. I'm Jodie Duval and I'm a functional naturopath in Perth, WA. This is a place where you can expand your knowledge on how to optimise your health and realise your full potential. We'll have cutting edge information with expert guests and having lots of fun along the way. Get ready to be empowered and motivated to reach your higher vitality and find your ultimate potential. Let's go! I had the honour to chat with the amazing Dr. David Raven today, who is an inspiration, changing the way we can deal with stress and emotional challenges. He's on a path to make change and shift the damaging effects of stress. I'm so excited for you all to listen to David speak about his amazing research, the Apollo, and his interest in the fascinating world of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. So a little bit of about Dave before we get into the podcast. Dr. David Raven, MD, PhD, is a neuroscientist, board-certified psychiatrist, health tech entrepreneur and inventor who has been studying the impact of chronic stress in humans for more than a decade. He is the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Apollo Neuroscience, which has developed the first scientifically validated wearable technology that actively improves energy, focus and relaxation using a novel touch therapy that signals safety to the brain. He received his MD in medicine and PhD in neuroscience from Albany Medical College and specialised in psychiatry with a distinction in research at Western Psychiatric Institute and Clinic at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Centre. He's always been fascinated by consciousness and our inherent ability to heal ourselves from injury and illness. He has specifically focused his research on the clinical translation of non-invasive therapies for patients with treatment-resistant illnesses like PTSD and substance use disorders. In addition to his clinical psychiatry practice, Dr. Rabin is currently conducting research on the epigenetic regulation of trauma responses and recovery to elucidate the mechanism of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and the neurobiology of belief. If you are convinced by the end of this podcast and would love to get yourself an Apollo, use the code REVITALHEALTH for 10% off at apolloneuro.com. We hope you enjoy. Dr. David Raven, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I am so excited to be chatting with you and I have been looking forward to this interview for a very long time. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Amazing, amazing. So I wanted to to kick off and we'll get into what we're going to discuss in a minute. We're going to be talking about your amazing research, this beautiful, wonderful thing that you have created, um, which I'll leave everyone in the lurch a little bit, um, and your psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. So I definitely want to dive into all that, but tell me a little bit about your interest initially getting into all of this and in health in general and how it sort of made this path for you. Sure. Uh, thanks. Thank you again uh, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I think I, I really got into this work because I was always, always interested in consciousness and the way that we basically make meaning from the world and our experiences. And um, I had very vivid dreams as a kid, which kind of picked that off because I you know, was having these dreams that really seemed real, like many people do. And, mm. and that really made me think that maybe there's, you know, more going on here than just our waking reality. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I wanted to study that for a long time. I wanted to study dreams and I was fascinated by it. But I realized uh, 
in large part, thanks to the guidance of my dad, that that was very, very difficult to study. Mm-hmm. And it was at the time, it was extraordinarily, you know, the 90s, early 2000s, it was very difficult to study this stuff. And so he said, you know, why don't you, you know, have you thought about going to medical school or doing any of, uh, you know, doing any of these other things? And I was like, you know, I really, I really fancy myself a researcher. Mm. Um, I really like researching stuff. I like exploring the frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me at that time, the thing that really stood out, if I couldn't work on, if I couldn't work on dream, dream science, I wanted to work on resilience and I wanted to work on chronic stress and understanding why some of us are resilient to chronic stress or stress in general, right? And we bounce back quickly. We actually overcome and grow with stress mm-hmm. and others of us don't and yeah. can even develop disease as a result of stress. And so that question just always stood out to me. And I started studying it in res- with respect to dementia originally in, in uh, human stem cell culture models in, uh, at the uh, Albany Medical College with Dr. Sally Temple. And we we have, and, and also looking at uh, aging models of eye disease and blindness, age-related macular degeneration, which again, only affects a, a lot of people, but not the majority of people. And yeah. you know, it's interesting that some people lose their vision and lose their ability to have cognition as they get older and others not. So yeah. after studying that for about six years, I realized that I really loved working with people. Mm-hmm. And I'd had really good interactions in my clinical work, um, working in the hospital, in the psychiatry department, and I had some friends who were really uh, into psychiatry and wanted and thought, you know, Dave, they just kept telling me, you know, Dave, you make a really good psychiatrist. And I was, and I, and I just kept pushing them off because in, when I was, when I was training still, psychiatry has stigma. There were a lot of people who, who, do, who you know, think they look at psychiatrists and they're like, these are just a bunch of glorified pill, pill, you know, drug, you know, drug dealers, yeah. basically yeah. handing out depression meds or whatever. And that was not, and that was a, that was a view that had existed within the field of medicine amongst doctors wow. actually for a while, because there were a lot of people who didn't respect the way that psychiatry was being taught yeah. in America. So I had a lot of stigma passed on to me from my parents who were physicians and from others mm. uh, against the field of psychiatry, but my parents were very open-minded people and very supportive. And and so I, you know, looked over everything and I saw this incredible research on psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and these incredible techniques using technology and tracking people mm-hmm. in the real world and understanding mental health from a, from a wearables perspective, um, daily tr- tracking rather than just every month we have you fill out a survey, which is the old way of doing it yeah. or, or even less frequent than that. Absolutely. Um, it changed yeah, and then, quickly. Right. Yeah, and just and and really just helping try to figure out. Uh, so that kind of led me into, um, you know, it made me realize that this work going on in this field was top notch. It was like at the highest level of scientific rigor, and in the highest levels of publications. And I that was in in, in that instant, I was like, all right, I'm going back. I'm going back to study consciousness. You know, I'm going to go back and do that work that I, I've always wanted to do. And then I went and I trained in psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh and. And that's where the research into consciousness really took off because I worked with Dr. Greg Siegel, who was this fascinating um, scientist as psychologist who worked in the field of cognitive, cognitive therapy and understanding like the inner workings of how our minds work mm-hmm. and how the different parts talk to each other in different situations and different illnesses, how they talk differently. And so we ended up together developing the original basis of the technology behind Apollo in, in his lab at the University of Pittsburgh. 
Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> there's, there's so much to unpack there. <laughs> the consciousness interest I, I love. Um, you know, psychiatrists have the same stigma here in Australia, just so you know. It's not just America. Um, definitely the same here. Um, and the, however, the psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is not very popular here. So um, that, that for me is a fascinating, fascinating topic. Stress, I've however. Yeah, I've, yeah. I have, some, I have some good friends in Australia and I've heard that as well. Yeah. And ketamine, ketamine is illegal, correct? Yeah. A lot is illegal here, including cannabis still. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. But yeah. you can get cannabis as a patient. <laughs> Absolutely. You can get it prescribed, um, but there's limitations still around that in the conditions that it can be prescribed for. So there is, right. is very little um, available here, unfortunately. It's changing. It's changing, which is really, really cool. Really cool. So let's start with unpacking the Apollo, because that is something that drew me to you um, and how we connected initially. And when I saw you in London and your wonderful talk on all of that and how what blew me away the most was how you talked about the Apollo and the technology, but the association with the psychedelics and how they experience in the body. So tell me a little bit of background about what the Apollo is and how we perceive stress in the body and how that interacts with that. Sure. So, um, uh, and, and I thank you for attending that uh, that talk it was that was a fun one that was it a great was. conference that it was a great conference stuff. i wish we could do it again but i'm not sure about this year <laughs> yeah next year next maybe year. <laughs> uh hopefully yeah we'll see right yeah. um here's hoping but yeah. uh so the apollo uh technology was this idea that came out of how do we help people who and, and a lot of it stemmed from my work with patients who had treatment resistant ptsd a lot of veterans um and depression mm -hmm. and substance use disorders and <laughs> these people never felt safe. And when you looked at the literature, they would just tell you, like, I never feel safe. And when I go out in my day-to-day -day life, like, I never feel safe. I don't feel safe in my own skin. I don't feel safe in my, around my family or in my house. Like, everything triggered their stress response system to go off. Mm. And, and there was generally, in almost every case that I, can, that I remember, there was always some, some kind of traumatic event that they perceived as traumatic behind all of this um, all of this worry and stress and, and anxiety, shame, guilt, and the suffering that goes along with that. And so um, they did not feel safe uh, without, with this stuff going on, this trauma that they hadn't, they hadn't been able to work on. Uh, mm -hmm. They hadn't had the, had the chance to be able to explore in more, in more depth. Mm -hmm. So we'd start working on the office and they'd start to feel better and they'd feel safe with me, but then they'd go out and they'd you know, relapse again. And so we, uh, we tried to find something that we could do to activate that safety system for people mm -hmm. that would turn off the fear center of the brain in a similar way to taking a deep breath or a couple deep breaths or, or having a loved one touch your hand or give you a hug on a bad day, mm -hmm. right? It instantly makes us feel better. Yeah. And there's a, neuro, a very specific neurological pathway that goes from our skin for touch in the case of Apollo, which are these gentle, soothing vibrations that are delivered through the wearable uh, that trigger the, um, the touch receptor nerve endings to fire in a way that's very similar to the feelings of safety that are conveyed from a loved one holding your hand. Mm. And we figured it out by mapping out that entire pathway from the skin to the brain and understanding what these signals from somebody, a loved one, are doing to the emotional brain, to the fear brain, mm -hmm. right? What does all the literature say 
to date. Yeah. Reading, reading on what has been done before is the single best advice I ever received <laughs> in my life, probably, or some of it, other wow. than practice makes perfect. So, mm -hmm. but the, but, so, so we figured out that these patterns could then specifically adjust, adjust the body to have mm -hmm. more energy, slightly less energy, slightly more calm, slightly more focus. And, and originally we just had the focus one and, mm -hmm. and the slightly calm one. And we, or what we called calm flow and like focus flow or clear <laughs> flow. Um, it was, it felt fresh. You know what I mean? It was just like this fresh, like flow of, yeah. of a feeling that you feel on like a really good day. Yeah. You know? yeah. And we felt that like pretty quickly. We're like, oh, this is pretty neat. So that was the first one we discovered back in 2017. Wow. Yep. And then that became the clear and focus mode. And then, and then we tested all of them in a double blind randomized placebo controlled crossover study mm -hmm. um, that showed that when pe the same people are receiving all these different vibrations, placebo vibrations like a cell phone buzz and a tapping versus Apollo vibrations versus no vibration, what, you know, at rest and during stressful tasks, when we're measuring EKG, EEG brainwave patterns, pupillometry, sweat, respiratory rate responses, all of the stuff in once, you can clearly see that there are signatures of change in the body that Apollo induces like boosting HRV and cognitive performance in a linear fashion with under stress what you don't see in all of the other conditions very significant difference there mm. and that was when we saw that we were we were like okay this is this is pretty incredible like you don't you don't see things like this every day and then we made the decision to try to make it a consumer product to just reach the most people and when i say we it was really uh you know the, le the leader of this was Catherine fantasi who's my wife uh luckily for me and <laughs> the ceo and and my co-founder of apollo neuroscience and mm. she's the business brains of the operation. Yes, yes, yes. You're the creative. <laughs> she's keeping well, but it. She, she's very creative too, but in a different way, you know? Yes, like yes. It's, uh, uh, it, like my creative is like, you know, like out there in the math and science realm, as you might imagine, but hers is like more about these creative ways to like keep, keep things structured together and functioning in a way and long-term vision-y type things that help create the actual infrastructure that makes something like this go. Yes. Right? Yes. So it's like all of the all the wheels and and all the all of the all the important pieces that have to go in to yes. make an idea turn into something that is meaningful, turn into something that's useful for people is what she does, which yes. is which is pretty cool. Pretty important to get it out there yeah. to the world, isn't it? <laughs> and, and it's a big problem in science. It's a huge yes. problem in science that a lot of people don't know about is this tech transfer process that goes from, or translation process mm -hmm. that goes from a discovery yep. or having an idea to a discovery mm -hmm. to actually getting used and adopted by the, the primary group that's going to benefit from it in the real world. It's mm -hmm. on average like 15 to 17 years. Wow. Process. Wow. I mean, think, th right. And think about like the, the, the challenges that we face now yes. in the world with COVID, with, with mutations, right. With all this different stuff that's happening and we, the opioid crisis, right. We don't have time. We don't have 15 to 17 years to wait. No. So we need, so we need to teach people what's called implementation science, which is really just a fancy way of the process of, of, of taking ideas and speeding up the work or that by building connections with other groups, right? Business people, marketing people, finance people, uh, uh, the athletes, the, the, the people who like, like you who actually share the message with the community mm -hmm. and through, through building those networks is how the, 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 whatever it is, the product gets Launches. out successfully yeah. into the world.
Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that um, happens along the way that can all happen together, but that's not happened before. And so that's a good thing out of COVID, I think, or this pandemic is that we can actually start this science and all sciences and all things are moving a lot faster, but still in a really, really good quality way. So, yeah, I love that. Um, Let's, let's get back. So I love when we're talking about the settings on the Apollo and I'm going to get you to explain it to everyone in a minute on how to use it. Um, first I'll dive into a little bit more of the research, but I love the clear and focused. I've got that one on now, but Me I too. also, That's, really, that was the first one we discovered. Yes. Yes. I really love that. And, and it can even, I can even use it at the start of the day going like a coffee for the rest of the day. Sorry, the microphone just died a little bit. Um, yeah, so it keeps me going like a coffee for the rest of the day. And I don't even have to have it still going. So it's, it leaves that effect with me. And I find that that focus is still there, which is amazing. And then rest and restore is one of my other really, really favorites. Mm -hmm. And I use that a lot because I, I tend to find that I'm quite wired at the end of the day or there's a lot of stress around family or whatever's going on for me and or even workouts when I do workouts and, and my body feels like it definitely needs to be restored. <laughs> so they're, the, they're my two that I really, really love. So I'll yeah, those are, those are two yeah. of my favorites too. Yeah. Those are probably the one that those in the social mode are the ones I use the most. The social okay. mode is really interesting because it's like a creative like mm -hmm. flow that's really great for when you're, especially when you're around other, you have to be around other people or you want to be around other people and you're tired. Yes, yes. I haven't tried that one yet and I, I need to. It, has, it just hasn't happened to be in a social situation yet. Yeah. <laughs> a conference would be fantastic, but we haven't been there yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know. I actually, that one I use when I, for, for like when I get, have to zoom all day, yes. you know, and, and, and yes. be on, you know, I get, I get like video fatigue right. um, and that, that like keeps me like bright and bubbly. That's, okay. I, I, I frequently use that for like podcasts. Yes. Um, I think I'm probably using that right now, actually. <laughs> yep. I am. Yeah. Okay. I might have to switch it in a minute. <laughs> Um, so give me a little bit of an explanation about, so burnout firstly, I wanted to talk about, and then let, dive, dive into some of the research that you've actually been doing and the connections. So I know Aura's um, involved, Aura Ring's involved in some of your research at the moment as well, um, or has been, if, if I'm incorrect. But we, burnout yeah, we is, work with, yeah. we, we, have, we do research with people who own Aura Rings. Yes. But yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Which <laughs> is great. Yes, collecting the data, which is fantastic. Um, so firstly, though, burnout, it's, it's very, very common. And in health professionals, in medical professionals, in like frontliners, like we, talk, we have talked about, um, it's something that I see a lot, even in my clients as teachers, you know, anything like that. So it's, dive a little bit more into the physiology of that for me. And then also um, how Polo can then, you know, add into that and help with that. Sure. Um, so, so the burnout is effectively when, so the best way to start talking about burnout is to understand sort of the basis of like how our nervous system works yes. and how we adapt to stress. So, so the simplest way to understand it is that we have two important parts of our nervous system that function in the background. Mm -hmm. We also have, we also can control them by breathing and doing different things, but they function in the background regardless of whether we do anything. Mm -hmm. And one of them is called the sympathetic, often known as the fight, flight, or freeze response system. And the other one is called the parasympathetic rest 
and or rest and digest nervous system. Mm -hmm. The sympathetic system, the fight or flight system, has evolved over millions of years. In, it, it exists in ancient animals, hundreds of millions of years older than us. And this, both of these systems, and it and it is evolved specifically to be triggered by threat, mm -hmm. threats to survival. Mm -hmm. So anything that that is an actual threat to our survival is supposed to set off that system, which then takes all of the available resources in our bodies, all of the available blood and oxygen as much as it can, and funnels that all to the heart, the lungs, the skeletal muscles, the motor cortex, all the parts of our brain that we need to fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. And so the body is evolved, literally evolved, created, hardwired, however you want to think about it, to do this, to engage the system specifically to get us from threat to safety. Yeah. However, normally, for most of us, even in the past, those threats to survival, lock, lock, lack of uh, a predator or lack of food, water, air, what have you, they often didn't happen very often, right? So you'd have a threat come, you would address the threat, you would get out to safety mm -hmm. in some capacity, in whatever capacity, and then your heart rate comes down, your respiratory rate comes down, and your blood pressure comes down, and your thoughts start to slow down. Your body has time to recover because it's acknowledged that you're safe. Mm -hmm. We don't have those kinds of threats, food, water, air, hunger, predators, most of the time in our lives anymore. We barely have them at all in Western civilization for most people. For most people. So thinking about that system ends up getting, that system, that sympathetic system starts to get, a, uh, a, a, it starts to attribute threat to things that are not actually threatening, like our emails, our texts, our responsibilities themselves, getting up in the morning, going to bed at night, whatever it is, we start to attribute a threat response to that. Yeah. It's and stress, isn't it? Always a perceived stress. Right. It's it, 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 right. And, and we have control over that. And that's the work that we do as, as you know, as a psychiatrist and that's and a therapist. That's what we do with people is to help them understand that we have control over that. And that takes practice. Mm. But, but the, so the, so the important, most important part about this is that this system, uh, the sympathetic nervous system is, is activated for a reason, right? It thinks that we are going to die. That's yeah. why it activates the way it does. Yeah. And so all of those resources get sucked out from our reproductive system, our digestive system, our, our metabolic system, our immune system, our creativity, our empathy, all of that doesn't matter anymore because our body thinks we're going to die. Wow. So imagine that over time, all of those systems that I just mentioned, not getting the valuable resources they need. To, to bring them nutrients, to carry away metabolites, right? The blood flow, the, um, everything that goes with the blood flow and the nervous system activity that would normally be going to those parts to engage them in our day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. And instead they get neglected and they eventually shut down in or dysfunction in certain capacities. And that's what we mm -hmm. call illness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? It's a dysfunctioning yeah. of these different systems over time, usually due to stress. Sometimes there are genetic things involved too, but in, in many cases, it's usually stress related in some form or another yeah. from the environment.
it's reduction in, in, in processes, in ability to deal with things, in nutrients, in, like you said, digestive system, and that fuels all the other systems and the cells. It's so, in, it's so interconnected. Yeah. Right. And I don't and think so the way, people oh, sorry, don't realise that, do they? I don't think. No. A lot of people don't. I, I mean, I don't think I was even really, ta- I was taught about it, but I wasn't taught about it to the extent that we're even going into on this show in medical school. Wow. You know, we were basically taught that these systems are all connected to everything in the body, but they all <laughs> operate on their own. So you don't really need to worry about it unless there's an emergency. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was basically what we learned. Wow. And that's all well and good for a while, but then, you know, it would be better now that we know more to kind of, so, so going to know, knowing more, right. So, mm. so human touch is one of the most powerful ways to activate the parasympathetic, this rest and digest system, the system that's responsible for recovery, mm-hmm. that system is activated by safety, mm-hmm. safety signals. Yeah. The sympathetic is activated by fear and threat. The parasympathetic is activated by safety. So think about all the things in our lives that make us feel safe. Soothing touch from a loved one, hugs, uh, uh, soothing music, um, nice sunrises and sunsets, right? Forest walks, mm-hmm. uh, pets, um, all of all of these things, eye to eye contact with a loved one, listening, actually listening to you, right, mm. and being present with you. Um, these moments are s- deliver safety to the body yeah. in a very yeah. in a very uh, similar way, and mm-hmm. it activates the part of our brain that tells the amygdala to quiet down a little bit. The amygdala is that fear center that we talk mm-hmm. about a lot. Yeah. And so it tells that part of our brain to calm down a little bit when it's going off too much, which is what has been shown to occur in many of us who have chronic stress. And over time, Apollo delivers vibrations that activate this, this pathway through touch. Um, and the gentle vibrations literally trigger the touch receptor system to deliver that safety signal to the brain, just like soothing touch. It says, if I have the time to pay attention to this feeling right now, I can't possibly be running from a lion. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Our, my, like my threat response system, my sympathetic system would not allow me to pay attention to the feeling of this gentle touch on my body, this, or the vibration or the feeling of my breath coming into my lungs. If I was actually running from a lion right now. Absolutely. And wow. that's a subconscious loop that then retrains you us ourselves over time. Mm, yeah. That is fascinating. Fascinating. Although I, you know, I, I already knew a, a lot of this stuff, but to have it explained in these sorts of ways, it just seems so clear. And in the context, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a no brainer for me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but lot, but that's why we have to talk about this stuff. More, exactly. Right? Because there exactly. are ways to explain it that yeah. make more sense than the way we were taught, which yes. really didn't make a lot of sense looking back. You had you to know? connect the dots a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of extra work that went into it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So then obviously we've got the, the, the touch of the Apollo, the vibrations of the Apollo. So talk to me a little bit about the research that's gone into the Apollo and then how, how we actually can use the Apollo in everyday life and with those sorts of scenarios as well. Uh, so the, so the, we talked a little bit about the, the first study we did, which was the double-blind, yes. randomized, placebo-controlled crossover study that was done in healthy subjects, <laughs> uh, 38 healthy subjects at the University of Pittsburgh. Yes. That's, that study was the first study that showed us that without a doubt, there was a difference between the typical vibrations we're exposed to and these specific patterns that we deliver yes. with the Apollo. 
So, so that and that and, and what was specifically different was that the uh, Apollo vibrations boosted heart rate variability significantly. Mm, yes. Uh, within three minutes, and under under stress, within three minutes, they boosted. Wow. Uh, and and they boosted cognitive performance because heart rate variability going up is great. Whoopee, right? But if heart rate variability goes up and then you see a proportionate increase in cognitive performance as heart rate variability goes up, it shows us a lot, which is yeah. that as we balance our autonomic nervous system, as we, we, we bring down that sympathetic response a little bit in, during a stressful cognitive task, like, a, like taking a test, for instance, which is something we all have had, had to do, and you bring down that threat response system a little bit by bringing up the recovery response system a little bit, maybe even a little more than the threat response system. You could do that. We can all do this by deep breathing, by the way. You don't need a, a wearable, but um, a lot of deep breathing can be hard, uh, particularly under stress. And so mm -hmm. we, we showed that you can get these responses of up to 25% improved performance with, wow. with, this, with just three minutes of, it, of this uh, vibration, which is so incredible uh. because it was, a, it was, you know, it, it was, uh, a response that occurred across the whole signature of these people's biometrics changing everything from, you know, their EKG to respiratory rate, to sweat, to, uh, yes. pupillometry, um, yes. everything is in, was in sync with their performance going up with these, with these patterns. And so it was basically the, the ultimate conclusion that was really exciting. That is kind of hard to mention a scientific paper, but is, is really makes sense when kind of having a regular conversation is that it's inducing flow, right? Mm -hmm. It bring, it helps us be more present. Yeah. And when we're more present with our bodies, which are always present, mm -hmm. you know, our minds are less in the past and less in the future, <laughs> right? Our minds can be anywhere and they're yeah. usually in the past or the future. It's just yeah. the reality of the way we've been trained to think. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the way of thinking that serves us the most. What serves us the most is being right here, right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. And three minutes, only three minutes. That, that's incredible, isn't it? Right. It, it, it's absolutely incredible. But, and I have, to, I have to caveat this with this was in an extremely controlled setting, right? right. So this is in the context of a university laboratory that was yes. electromagnetically and sound shielded. Right. <laughs> to prevent alternate, to prevent other contamination frequencies from the environment from interfering with this very sensitive measurement equipment. Yes. That you can't, that you can get at home, but it's really hard to create like basically a high, an ultra high end recording studio, you know, that has all of this equipment in it that can do these kinds of measurements. And yes. so. They're taking out that, things that can cause stress like EMFs in itself. That would and, take. Well, not, and, not, and not just stress, but like interference with the recording of, of personal data. Right, because you're wearing all this stuff, and this stuff is measuring electrical currents from the body. Mm. That's how it measures us, and and so in most cases, most of the things we use, EKG, EEG, they all measure uh, galvanic skin response. They measure current. Yeah. So any electromagnetism or sound from the environment, sound is distracting to us consciously, but any kind of like radio waves or any EM, uh, EMF, all of that stuff can interfere with the sensitivity of and the specificity of the signal. So. Mm -hmm. So under those kinds of conditions, you can see this in three minutes. Most people, most people feel it within, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. A lot of people feel it right away. It just yeah. depends on how, how sensitive and, and where you are of your, of your body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. 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 And the more you, the more we use it, the more sensitive you get to it as well, which is really interesting. There's like a, con there's like a conditioning, what we call a learning effect mm -hmm. with it.
Mm -hmm. So the body learns to uh, adapt the change more quickly. Okay. So there's accumulation over time. The more you use it, the more benefit you get out of it. That's what it seems. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So how then in the day, obviously we've got the settings. If you wanted to explain those of the Apollo, um, you know, there's, we can use it in meditation and I heard that it can assist you to get into meditation quicker. I haven't tried it myself yet, actually. That's some, another one I have to try. Um, and so explain to me a little bit about how you even would use it throughout the day. Uh, that's a great question. So I personally use it mostly during the daytime and less often during the nighttime, mm -hmm. although um, I'm, I'm pretty good generally at winding down, but usually uh, focus and dedicated, intense, long focus mm -hmm. is, you know, can be tricky when you have, you have so many things going on. Absolutely. So, um, so I use it on the clear and focus in the morning and that's, and then that's my like go-to. Um, if I really want a gentle wake up, I'll use the rebuild and recover in the morning. If I haven't slept well, or if I'm really not feeling so great, that, that one is, is a great one. And I always use that after I work out and I use the clear and focus before I work out. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and then I pretty much use clear and focus or social and open all day, like intermixed, uh, depending on what I have to do. If I have to do intense, like deep in work where I'm not interacting with people, it's clear and focused. And if I have to interact with people, it's social and open. Um, and what else? And then in the, uh, in the evening and when I meditate, yeah, when I, when I do meditate, I don't do sitting meditation very often. I do, you know, more of a walking meditation or, um, movement meditation with stretching and okay. breath work together. Mm -hmm. So for me, everyone has their own personal meditation. You know, it's a very, it's a very personal uh, thing. Mm. And there's lots of great techniques to start with out there. Um, but Apollo can help with the timing of breath, breathing and the body and becoming aware of body sensitivity and meditation. And it also just helps us feel a little more safe and, and uh, to, to lean into meditation because meditation is kind of like leaning into the unknown. Absolutely. Right? It's scary for a lot of people. And to, to know that you actually are talking about the movement of med moving meditation, breath work meditation with movement is refreshing because a lot of people think they have to sit down, you know, in that stigma of um, and then sit there for hours trying to meditate when it's really hard and then getting more stressed from that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally true. And mm -hmm. even, the, even many of the top expert Buddhists also know that, that, it, that it is not about just sitting meditation. It's about living meditation, right? It's about being present. Meditation is like the practice of being present, like we were talking about earlier. So yes. all the tools that we have around us, there's different breathing techniques, there's touch techniques, there's music and sound techniques like gongs and sound bowls and all music and all these different things mm. that and, and vibration that alter our bodies in, and, my, and minds in certain ways that help us to access these different states of, of being present. Yes. Right. Yeah. And these different states of experience, which is what psychedelics do as well. Um, they do it biochemically, not, you know, with frequency in the same way. Right. Yes. So, yes. Yes. Absolutely. So these are all different techniques to help us access these states of, of healing, mm. which is very interesting. Very cool. I, um, I played a lot of music as a kid. So I started playing the flute very early on and continued until I, uh, I was about 18 and I pick it up every so often still. 
but it, it really taught me to be present and in the flow. And it's something that I um, am very grateful for because I find that getting into those states is very easy for me compared to a lot of other people I find. And I think music has a big part to play in that, that, that like you said, the presence and the flow state. So what's your experience sure. with musicians? Because I know you have a little bit of interest in that. Yeah, I'm a musician. I'm not yes. very good, but I play, <laughs> I play piano and trumpet and I sing a little bit. And my wife, uh, Catherine, uh, she also played piano and trumpet growing up. Um, but we really are music admirers and we, we love music. We've helped some of our friends produce music uh, over the years and we're just huge music lovers. And yeah. we love the way that music affects us. And our whole research team was actually musicians originally in some capacity. So music had a huge influence. My mom played the flute also. Yeah. Um, I always loved the flute. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, Good for and lung so, capacity as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I could never play it though. I, I, I always struggled to make the embouchure that was required to play the flute. I couldn't make my mouth do that. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, but music was heavily, heavily inspired this because music is the way that we most often in our day-to-day -day lives for the most people connect with that feeling of like being present, like the feeling of like walking into a room and you turn and the radio's on your favorite song comes on. Mm. Right. And there's just like nothing quite like it. No. You know, it's like, it's just that moment. And, and we've all had those moments and those moments can be replicated and increased in frequency by surrounding ourselves with more things, more tools that we can use to help us feel safe and feel connected to ourselves and to our environment. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so I would imagine that you could, in a, in a way, stack some of these things. So you've got Apollo, your music, you've got your psychedelics. If you combine all of those, then there's amplitude there, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I do, I do ketamine-assisted psychotherapy in my psychiatry practice, and, yes. and we use this for treatment-resistant depression and PTSD in people really who have tried pretty much everything else and nothing works, and it yes. works really, really well. Um, and people have experiences with ketamine using Apollo um, because they actually usually, they usually found it before they and they found me through Apollo because they bought an Apollo and they're like this really helped me and then they and then they reached out to my practice to see me um and they and we end up doing treatment together and I can tell you without a doubt people who use that that wearable with ketamine and and music and, and music is so important especially mm -hmm. in the ketamine experience but all all of these psychedelic experiences in general yes. make us they make us more sensitive to our environment. So if you have the wrong music or you have music that's too loud or music that doesn't, isn't the right, you know, fit for that setting. Yeah. Um, it's even more, it's not, it's not that it's, it's, it, it's, it's even more apparent than it usually would be that it's annoying. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and it, yeah. And it, throw, it throws you off. So, um, so that that's, so using those things together without a doubt has a better benefit uh, for people. And I've, you know, working with many, many people, I, we've seen, I think in general, you know, we don't, we don't have a study on it yet, but in general, people just seem to do better when they have more, they have, a, you know, the Apollo and music together rather than just music and ketamine. Okay. So if you have Apollo and music or Apollo, or Apollo music and ketamine versus music and ketamine, Apollo music and ketamine seems to always go better. And I think people feel more able, and I'd never really thought about it in this way until I talked to you, but 
people just feel more able to let go yeah. when, they feel, when they feel safe in that experience. That's the safety. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So is there something in the cards for the research in association with psychedelics and Apollo? Uh, so I am working on a trial um, that hasn't started yet, but sure. uh, with ketamine, with some ketamine clinics where we will be testing Apollo yes. um, in a, um, in a uh, uh, randomized clinical trial that will, uh, will be effectively delivering Apollo to people with treatment-resistant depression going through uh, ketamine treatment and then mm -hmm. people looking at people who have had ketamine treatment going through the same treatment, meeting the same criteria, who have not had Apollo. Okay. Um, so that will be really interesting. Very interesting. Wow. Before I dive a little bit more into psychedelics with you, I just wanted to wrap up a little bit more on Apollo and personal interest in this is with kids. So I've used it on my two, uh, five and eight um, little rug rats. And um, my boy who's eight, he has absolutely loved it. He's, he's had a lot of, um, not stress, but he is a very sensitive little guy. And so he tends to take on a lot more of it uh, in the environment and at school and all those sorts of things. So using it with him, he has responded amazingly. And, and I said to you off, off recording, I had to literally fight him for it to get it off him. He's like, no, I want to use it again, mum, 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 mum. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you can in a minute. I just need to try it just once. Okay, please. <laughs> so give me a little bit of um, information or background on use with kids. That's, that's so funny. I'm so glad that he enjoyed it so much. We, <laughs> we originally, we, we had a few anecdotes of that and then, um, and, and we had a lot of people when we were originally developing it start reaching out to us about trying it for autistic kids. Mm -hmm. And so we had, we had kids with autism and then we had some kids with ADHD who started using it. And then we had some kids with um, anxiety disorders start using it. Mm. And we ended up partnering with a clinic called the Children's Integrated Center for Success, which is a really incredible uh, pediatrics clinic um, that a pediatrics mental health clinic in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, but now they have a digital um, clinic and they provide these, you know, basically minimally invasive but extremely effective treatments for pediatric mental health conditions that are just mm -hmm. really notoriously hard to treat and don't often respond to medicine. Wow. So they were looking for things that were non-medicine that they could give to kids yeah. And the, which, which we were also trying to do because yeah. a lot of the medicines that are given to kids are actually off-label. They haven't been studied effectively in clinical trials. And there's a good reason for that because, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's a little bit unethical to, mm. you know, or coercive to, you know, include children in clinical trials. Absolutely. And there's a lot of ethical reasons to protect children not do that. Yes. But that means we should be extra cautious as clinicians when we use these medicines. Yes. With, children absolutely and so as, yeah, with, so it is. as with pregnant women and the ethics surrounding the trials with that as well isn't it yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so we ended up partnering with them and 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 have been doing work together and now we are moving forward with that work because the results have been so good at, in terms of reducing anxiety improving focus and and actually and helping with sleep and winding down at the end of the day yeah. um i think focus is focus and is probably the main reason why most kids uh use it yes and with the prevalence of ADHD. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Incredible. We're all, over, we're all overstimulated. 
Absolutely. And it's no wonder. I completely understand why, but it's hard to get away from those environments too, isn't it? When you're, when you're right. at school and all those sorts of things. I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated with what happens with children and in terms of how this is really, really going to make a big difference. I'm wanting to bring more and more polos into my clinic and hand them out, just throwing them out to everyone that I see. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, because I, I saw it personally um, and I knew it was I knew it was going to be good anyway. I already heard a lot of stories from other colleagues how amazing the Apollo was because they've been fighting over it as well. A few of the mutual friends of ours. <laughs> no, I want it. Give it to me. No, I need it. <laughs> so with, the, with so children, funny. yeah, with children, it's um, something that they can have power over. They can have control over. It's cool. It's funky. They can wear it on their you know, leg. They can wear it on their wrist and they have control over their settings. And for kids, they love gadgets. That's a huge thing. Yeah. Control. Yes. Yes. I mean, think so, about being a kid and like how, I mean, especially like going up into adolescence and most of us try not to remember it, but there, there were so many times where we didn't feel in control of how we felt. Right. We didn't know how to explain it, what was going on, because we didn't have anybody to tell us what was going on. And, and that, that's confusing, and it's, and it's frustrating, and it's hard, and it creates a lot of like, negativity around growing up, and, 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 it's very, and a lot of anxiety for kids. You know? Absolutely. And, and, and that anxiety can come out in all of these different ways, one of which is disrupting focus, your mood, sleep, et cetera, behavior. Mm -hmm. And so just by providing that sense of control in and of itself, where uh, you know, a kid can, can press a button and turn on something that helps them feel a little more calm or a little more focused. Yeah. Even if it helps just a little bit, it, that sense of control is so important. So important. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and well, I noticed it most in my boy around age seven. So, and I think that's a, a completely different, you would know this much more than me, um, but it feels like there was a different change in mindset. You know, there was a coming of awareness of outside of their body versus only inside of their body. And for that, it's a little bit more out of control because then awareness of what's outside of you and what, how you deal with that. And then I think teenagers also feel the same way is when they, are almost there into adulthood, but not quite having all the control that they feel like they should have or, and, but don't have the decision makings to do what they need to do. So um, yeah. in that way, the Apollo is going to be so, so powerful in those scenarios. I, I hope so. I mean, we're in desperate need of tools to help in these scenarios, right? Oh. So like any dent we can make, I'm just like, yes, yes. <laughs> Let's keep making dents, guys. We can do this. <laughs> I mean, this is big, these are big problems, right? We do not want our kids all medicated with drugs that we don't know what the long-term risks are, you know? And, and, and who, wants to have, who wants to be on drugs, pharmaceuticals for long-term anyway? It's just not, it's not, it's not the way it was meant to be, guys. This is, no, you know, the, even the short-term help, right. support, then get off. And that's, what, and that's even what the Hippocratic Oath itself or what Hippocrates talked about, you know, the Hippocratic yes. Oath says first do no harm. Yes. And Hippocrates talked about truly delivering healing and health to people means as a care provider means making sure they're not dependent on the care provider or the medicine mm. or the tools that we're giving them for healing. Yeah. The whole purpose of, 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 of healing someone or working with them as a healer is that we empower them to heal themselves. We teach them the, what the knowledge needed and, and how to learn more about themselves over time with certain skills to be able to heal themselves more effectively and not be dependent on us. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely love all of that. And it's exactly what I teach my students as well <laughs> at college. So um, yeah, it's so important for us to be realizing that that clients and, and how the medical system has gone a little bit uh, askew from that just slightly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I think it, you know, it just goes to show like, look, you know, when you want to know like why something's messed up, you just like, look at, look at who, look at who's in charge, right? It's business people now making the decisions about how health is delivered, Absolutely. not doctors. Yes. Right. Yeah. Doctors take an oath. They that, take the Hippocratic oath. That's right. And they generally tend to stay within that practice as long as it's not illegal. Mm. And, mm. and uh, generally, although not, it doesn't always work out that way, unfortunately, because of the systems, right? But the yeah. systems are run by people in most places that are business people. They're not doctors. Not doctors. So, I didn't take a nice. Right. Yeah. They, I mean, they just don't have any, their allegiance is to money. Business people's allegiance is to money. And that's not a fault of theirs. It's a fault of, it's just the way, the way that a capitalist system works is that if you're going to do business and run a company and sell insurance or whatever it is, you know, you have to, you, your bottom line is, is your shareholders and the people that, you know, you have to get the, you know, et cetera. But there is a happy medium where we can like work together in the middle that I don't think we've reached yet, but we're yes. like, right, almost we're there. Close. We're close. I think we're close. Yeah, I think we're close. I hope we're close. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Uh, on that note, with, um, I wanted to dive into psychedelics a bit with you. So um, here in Australia, like what we are just speaking about, um, very unheard of to be using this assisted psychotherapy. Um, so let's, let's break this knowledge out of, out of the box and tell me a little bit about it, the benefits of it, what you go and you, what you use. Um, and I also wanted to touch a little bit on psilocybin because I do have a personal interest in that, the microdosing of the psilocybin. And I've read lots of research about that, including, you know, MDMA as well, and also ketamine, um, but very much unknown here in, in, um, Australia. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll try to cover as much as I can. So I, I have been trained to do both ketamine assisted psychotherapy mm -hmm. uh, and MDMA assisted psychotherapy. Okay. Uh, I only practice ketamine assisted psychotherapy because MDMA is still illegal in the United States. Uh, and it's only legal in clinical trials. Okay. Um, it's currently in phase three FDA trials. So the hope is, as is uh, psilocybin, I believe also has phase three trials right around the corner. Mm -hmm. So it, we believe it seems, or, or may, they maybe have started already. Um, but it seems like it'll be 2022 or maybe 2023 before they'll be actually medically legalized by the FDA. And then we could deliver them in the clinic okay. uh, to people, uh, you know, in a clinic with, with supervision from a doctor that has to be, you know, present. Yes. Um, trained. Yeah. Ketamine, but the results from those trials are incredible. And the, and the preliminary and the results from the trials that led up to the current trials are are you know completely astounding and and relatively unheard of for medication and mental health and, mm -hmm. and treatment of mental health conditions you know and to give you an example of the results with mdma for treatment resistant ptsd uh you know what the, what, what they were seeing was with people who have tried every you know tried multiple different treatments full courses of multiple treatments that have, and have never had successful symptom remission um, from their ptsd for on average 17.6 years. Wow. 17.6 years of, of treatment resistant illness <gasps> on average. And these people 
received just three doses of MDMA with 12 weeks of psychotherapy. And, with, and, and then compared to placebo at two, uh, at two months out mm. after, or I'm sorry, right after the treatment was over, mm-hmm. they had roughly 55% of these people no longer met diagnostic criteria for PTSD. Wow. After the 12 <laughs> weeks. Wow. 55%. And it was like 21% or 27%. Yeah. I think it was 27% in the placebo group Same actually way. no longer met diagnostic criteria for PTSD. So this is with MD, three, three, only three doses of MDMA and 12 weeks of psychotherapy, right? And that 12 weeks of psychotherapy is very intensive. So it, it clearly had an impact on the people yes. who went through it and didn't get the, the actual drug. So then, then zoom out a year right? Because we want to know like what happened down the road to these people after they've had no additional treatment. Yes. And it turns out that many of the placebo group people became sick again and about half of them roughly. And then in the other group, the group that actually received MDMA, it went up from 50, roughly 55% to 67% no longer needing (laughs) diagnostic criteria for PTSD. So so the therapy... And, and so the way that ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and MDMA-assisted psychotherapy work, and, and many of the others are similar to this, is that they really focus on amplifying safety. Mm-hmm. And, and many other psychotherapy, non-medicine psychotherapies focus on this, but really amplify yeah. safety using techniques of empathy yeah. and connection uh, with a person to help them feel safe enough to really lean into this experience and really connect with themselves. Yeah. And that there isn't actually like that part of yourself that you're a little bit afraid of discovering isn't actually uh, threatening to you. It can't actually hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. Yes. It just hurts. And it just wants to be connected with you. It wants to be loved. It wants to be integrated into the whole. Yes. Yes. So the medicines help people to explore those parts and then sort of reassemble a more whole sense of, of ourselves that acknowledges the parts that are working really hard, that are really stressed out and overwhelmed mm. and the ego and the ego survival parts and, mm. and thanks them. And then also acknowledges the parts that we have that are hurt and sore and neglected and, and traumatized and whatever that we haven't been thinking about and yeah. then brings them all together into a more whole sense of self, which is very similar to uh, the way, which is Dick Schwartz actually uh, came up with this therapy uh, technique. Okay. Um, and a lot of other people practice uh, yes. this technique and it's called internal family systems. Um, right. So I've never heard of that. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. It's, a, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. actually very, I, I love it because it's so, I've studied some tribal South American medicine and it's very similar to the way that they say they approach people when they help them clear these these traumatic blockages of energy from their energy flow. The blockages prevent them from their energy from flowing freely. When their energy flows freely, you reach your fullest potential and you integrate more parts of yourself. And like, that's how they talk about it. Yes. It's really interesting. That's incredible. Really incredible. I, um, I myself has never, have never tried, um, ketamine. Like I, I don't have a problem saying it here. I know, um, we can't talk about it too depth in terms of personal experience, but I've not tried ketamine. I've definitely tried MDMA and that's um, experiences that have been outside of psychotherapy. So I can't relate to what that would be like in, and I imagine it's going to be so much more rich. Um, psilocybin in itself, I've, I've definitely tried, um, but more than microdosing. Um, but the, the, the 
plant medicines as such. Um, I've, I've definitely delved into those. Um, so ha have you done much research in relation to plant medicines and then into um, the psilocybin and, and what's in store for those in future, maybe for research or for use in psychotherapy? Uh, yeah, I mean, psilocybin is already in clinical trials. So yes. psilocybin yes. will be available probably in 2022, 2023. Awesome. Um, yes. There are already some places that have legalized the usage of it, which is pretty interesting as well. That's great. So we'll see what, well, I mean, we'll see what happens. Hopefully people won't hurt themselves and be idiots, but yeah, you know. that's, that's the issue, isn't it? Is that hopefully, hopefully it's done in a safe and controlled manner so then it can be benefiting more. Right. Right. Because the last thing we need is someone, you know, hurting themselves on the stuff. And then all of a sudden the government's like, oh, no, yes. you can't use this <laughs> anymore. <No. laughs> <Right>. Yeah. Cut. <laughs> so, yeah. No, thanks. Let's not repeat the 60s and 70s, guys. Yeah. This yeah. could get a lot better if we do not do that. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so, yes. So in, into um, ketamine, can you give me a little bit more information about ketamine? Because... What, what does that, um, what's the physiological part of how it helps someone or um, interrelates with someone in the psychotherapy? So ketamine is, is a little bit un, uh, unique in the psychotherapy experience because it's very short right. acting. Um, it's it's a medicine that is a tranquilizer um, medicine that was used as an anesthetic for pain Yes. Um, it's developed maybe 70 years ago or so. It's very well studied and it's very safe actually mm. uh, when used properly. Yes. And it helps to induce a very interesting sort of uh, mind opening state of um, gratitude and uh, gratitude and self-love and helping us, helping you sort of see these parts of yourself that you may have not you know, as I said earlier, like not been very, felt very connected to or not been connected to for a long time. Yeah. Um, and it basically, and it gives, but we don't actually do that much talking in the ketamine experience. I, I very rarely uh, do talking within the experience itself, which is that hour and a half I was just telling you about because, yes, yes. because the person, you know, typically goes in, inside themselves. They wear a mask, they listen oh. to music. Um, and they can hear me, and if they need me, I'm there. I'm constantly holding the space for them to make sure that they feel safe. Yeah. Um, and I often work with another doctor or therapist to do that as well, and we usually work in pairs. Mm -hmm. um, and so we hold, you know, that, but there's not much, not much interaction. We talk a lot before to prepare, mm -hmm. and we talk mm -hmm. a lot after. Right. Um, and I would say the experience of, of ketamine from what I've heard from most people who have uh, you know, these healing ketamine experiences in this way, mm -hmm. is, is, the, is interestingly, because ketamine is, is one of the only, almost entirely synthetic uh, psychedelic um, medicines mm -hmm. that is man-made. Uh, man mm -hmm. And it has a very similar effect uh, when taken in the right way to the feeling that people have from ayahuasca. Yeah. So... And, and, the, and ketamine acts on tons of different systems in the brain. We don't exactly know. It works on the NMBA receptor yes. system and, and possibly on the opioid receptor system in some capacity. Uh, we don't exactly understand completely how it works and induces the effects that it does, but it's very powerful. Yeah. And it's short acting, which is nice. So we can deliver mm. 
we can deliver sessions to people at home. So we actually can have a pharmacy mail ketamine to your home in low doses. I was just about to ask you that. Is telemedicine now, how do we do this? Yeah. Yeah, so we, so we actually train people to do this. Um, and we deliver uh, ketamine from the pharmacy to your home, assuming that there's a pharmacy in your, in your state. And this is only in, in the US right now, yes. um, from what I know. But yes. uh, the pharmacy delivers it to you in, very, in low doses, but with specific instructions that you, work, look, you practice with us uh, over Zoom. Mm-hmm. And then you look, we teach you how to do it. And then you administer the medicine to yourself afterwards and talk to us in between. Wow. Okay. Um, so okay. the integration work is really the most important part. Of yes. The With anything, I think, isn't it? And even when you're doing ceremonies and outside of the, the, the space of clinical application, even that, you know, the preparation and the, the afterwards and it's way more important in itself to the integration. Yeah. Well, and, and to integrate. Absolutely. Yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. The preparation too, I should have said the preparation and yeah. integration are both I would say, you know, it's not fair to say more important, but maybe together they're more important than the experience itself. But really, it's three parts that are equally all equal. Have to all take place. Yes. yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They require equal focus and 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 respect. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. All right. I can't keep you for too much longer. So let's finally let's talk about um, a little bit more about the Apollo in terms of the settings. So just run people through maybe just the functioning of the Apollo. So when everyone runs out and grabs one after this, they know exactly how to use it. And I can bring up my app here if you want, and I can show them on the video. On the oh, sure. Yeah, why not? Um, so there's seven settings on the Apollo. Yes. Um, generally, the, the best way to set uh, the settings is you just click, click on one from the home screen that's aligned with your goal for what you want to do or how, or how you want to feel. So if you want to, Energy, it goes from on the top left, energy and wake up, which is the most stimulating and energizing. Mm-hmm. Kind of feels like a cup of coffee or an espresso. Yeah. And then social and open, which is like a creative social flow. Um, clear and focused, which is a um, you know, deep focus workflow. And then rebuild and recover, which is sort of in the middle between, it's like a more, the most balanced between sympathetic and parasympathetic, which helps people really recover quickly after any stress. Uh, and I use it all the time after working out. Yeah. Um, and I've just clicked mine over to social and open there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's definitely one of, one of my favorites. Um, and, uh, and then underneath, and then as soon as we get into uh, meditation and mindfulness, that's when we start getting into the much more calming patterns. The other patterns can be calming, but they're also very uh, stimulating to focus and attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when we really want to calm down and focus more inside ourselves, inside our bodies and be aware of our bodies, meditation and mindfulness is, is, is the starting pattern of that. And that pattern is great for a whole lot of other things in addition to meditation. It's great for aches and pains. It's great for uh, nerve pain for a lot of people who have. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you about pain actually. Yeah. Yeah. It works really well for like chronic nerve pain. Uh, we've heard from like many, many, many people. Um, mm-hmm. And um couple other things oh that one tends to help people with, th- with things like digestion which is interesting huh. i really like i really like meditation mindfulness because for me i feel like uh it's, it's like a calm flow state where i'm not i don't i don't i don't get sleepy on it yeah. i'm just kind of like in the zone just chilling don't need to work don't need to really i, I can just be it brings me back to like my baseline for me everybody has like I, I, you know 
a certain baseline state. And for me, I think that helps nudge me into my, my baseline state. And then the relax and unwind is like deep relaxation. Uh, it, it, a lot of people, it just, it knocks them out. It definitely knocks me out. Yes. Um, and then sleep and renew is the deep sleep uh, pattern that's much more gentle. Okay. So going to sleep at night, would, it, um, w- would you be doing the relax and wind and then the sleep? Um, is that's, that a step? That gives the best results. Sure, sure. Okay. And there's actually a great article about this on our website called Excellent. How to Get the Most Out of Your Experience with Apollo that okay. um, Rachel and I wrote. And it's, uh, it's, it's the, like a two-minute quick summary that will teach you like, basically everything you need to know that about how to get the best experience with it in terms of using it throughout the day, all the different benefits of the patterns in addition to what it just says on the pattern or on the app, because mm-hmm. you can't, you can only fit so much on the app, but you can fit a lot more information on the website and it will gradually be built into the app over time as well. Yes. Yes. Um, it's very easy to use, but um, I'm learning certain things where, um, you can change the, obviously you've got the buttons on the side, so you can change mm-hmm. the adjustments of the, um, the strength of the vibrations, but also I hear, which I haven't tried that once it's off, you can then turn it straight back on again without using your phone. So <laughs> yeah, you don't need your phone to use Apollo other than yeah. to set it up. Um, yeah. And then once you, once you turn on a pattern uh, with your phone, that pattern gets saved to the Apollo and every time you tap the two buttons one time, uh, they will restart or pause or restart the last setting you were on. Mm. So you can restart. So I, I, I love that setting because during the day I use clear and focus or social and open all day. Yeah. And I pretty much use the same one all day and I don't change. I just, yeah. whatever mood I'm in that day yeah. or how many people I need to talk to that day. Yeah. And, and so I'll just put that on. And then when it turns off, you know, and I need a little boost again, uh, instead of getting a cup of coffee, I'll just reach down, turn it on. And I'm going to look at my phone. Amazing. So it's both buttons at the same time you press or just one or the other? Yeah, both, both at the buttons. same time. Okay. So just one, one press, both buttons. Excellent. I'll try it with my busy morning now <laughs> with all my clients that I have to speak to, which is great. I'll be able to test that particular one, which I've not tried yet. Amazing. It's, it's also great when you're sleeping so that you don't have to go to your phone when yes. you're in bed. There's a lot of people... There's, there's no, there's not really many good uh, technologies or really anything that helps with people uh, who wake up in the middle of the night. That's right. And so that's actually, that's a major focus for us. And we're developing a lot of sleep features from that, that's the study with uh, our, our Oura Ring uh, data contributors mm-hmm. that are share, who are valuable users, who I, I thank wholeheartedly for uh, contributing to this incredible research we've been able to do um, to understand sleep better and how people use the Apollo in relation to sleep. So yeah, yeah. So, so you, you can do use those, that, that technique with the buttons. You can, in the nice. middle of the night, you can tap your Apollo if you wake up to turn back on the sleep mode without having to go to your phone, which is yes. much better for your eyes. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, sleep maintenance is a huge issue for a lot of people. Huge issue, yeah. It's one of the, yeah, one of the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. And important for our health, um, you know, it, apart from everything else as well that we've spoken about. So Dave, thank you so much. I am going to let you go now. And finally, where can we find you? Where can people reach out and get the Apollo? I'm going to list the, the codes, the websites, all of that there on there, um, on, on the notes and everything like that. So, but just run through quickly where we can find you and Apollo. 
So you can find Apollo at apolloneuro.com mm -hmm. or apolloneuroscience.com. And that's A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. Yep. And you can find me on Instagram at Dr. David Rabin and on Twitter at Dave Rabin uh, or on my website at drdave.io. Wow, that's a <laughs> good memory there, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. I can't I remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you'd be, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your time today. I'm so excited to be able to speak to you about all of this. Um, keep doing your amazing, amazing work, and I, I'll be following and hopefully catching up with you in person at one of the conferences around the world in the next few years. And thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You too. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Revital Health Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Revital Health as well as our website, revitalhealth.com.au, for upcoming podcasts, workshops, and speaking events. Find out about specials happening in the clinic and all the show notes and links mentioned in the podcast. Please remember that this information discussed here is general information and it is not intended to diagnose or treat individuals. Please speak to your healthcare professional before embarking on any new treatments, lifestyle changes, medicines or supplementation to assess your suitability. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you again soon.